Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption, the, for, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intentions which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of, as our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Are you out of breath? There's a lot of words in there, huh? I still encourage you, as we've had two so far, come up and say that for us. And you might say, I'm afraid to get up in front of the church. I might blow it. Get a friend to do it with you. All right? That would also work, too. Uh, get a choir. We've got a choir. Ask them to join you. And all of them read together. Um, there's all kinds of ways you can do this, but... Uh, I think it's great if we hide these words in our heart. This is a precious passage for us as believers in Christ to know this is what God is doing. And it's all because you have an identity in him. And it is a precious, precious thing. That's what we're studying together. We made it all the way down to verse number 8. And I'm going to use just the phrase which he lavished on us for our message here this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. How encouraging it is to read these things, to know that they're true, that they are what you are doing in our lives, even right now. As we gather here together, we just sit at your feet. Teach us today, Lord. Teach us the beauty, the, the depth of the things that you have done for us. And help us to not only just bask in it and enjoy it, but also live in light of it, to walk forward with our heads held up as those who are in Christ and knowing the difference you've made because of our Savior Jesus. Today we're going to look closely at these words, Lord. Help us to, to understand, but also help us to plant them deep in our heart. Write them there, we pray, Lord, with permanent ink. And we ask you that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, here is a passage in front of you. Ephesians 1, 7 spills into verse number 8 a little bit. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. I, I really, when I chose to walk through this passage with you, I couldn't wait to get to this word, lavished. This is, this is one of my favorite words in the entire passage, and it's just a joy to be able to share this today. We're coming off a week of having put special emphasis upon the work of Christ on our behalf. We've talked about His death. We've talked about His burial. We've talked about His resurrection. We had that wonderful, wonderful cantata that followed this. And all that it means to us as believers... I don't know how you could have come away from our service last week without joy in your heart uh, for all that we were able to talk about and, and share together. All that He has done to change us forever. It seems to me that we should have a reaction, which I, I think all of us do, is how undeserving we are of what Christ has done. Some of us are maybe more like Peter, uh, denying our Lord when confronted uh, as to our relationship with Him. We might be like Peter in our workplace, <laughs> and it's uncomfortable to be a believer there. We might be like Peter in our family environment, maybe in your relatives, even maybe your, fa- your children or your parents, that... For you to be a Christian is an uncommon thing. And you might hide that a little bit because of what might come from that conversation. You might be like Peter in your neighborhood. Nobody knows that you're a believer. And you're happy with that. Uh, Maybe that's true. Afraid that somebody's going to find out that you're a follower of Christ. I know that story too well. That was me in high school. We lived in in a, a... large area, northwest Indiana, my graduating class had um, 500 kids in it. It was a big class. And uh, last thing I wanted them to know is that I was a believer because they, they tormented believers at that school. That was our, our mascot was a martyr. At the, no, not really. Uh, but uh, they, they uh, it was hard to be a believer in that. And I had a conviction I was taught from very young that uh, when you have lunch, you pray. And there are all kinds of clever ways to pray without anyone noticing. Those are the things we practiced all the time. Me and my friends who were believers, we were afraid that somebody would find out we were believers in Christ. We were scared to death of being teased. Maybe we're like Peter. A lot of us are. Or maybe we're more like Judas. Judas... uh, we put up a front of importance, but all the while we've got a scheme going on to our own profit. Uh, perhaps like a Judas, we can be attached to a church or identify as a Christian, but when we are operating, it's only for self-serving capacities. It, it may be, uh, maybe not that our hands are in the money bag, but so much, but maybe it's that we're stealing glory from our Savior. Or maybe we could be like any of the other disciples that we read about who ran for their lives and hid in a locked room 
and sought to be invisible at the moment of a crisis like that. Christianity is great when it's popular. Uh, but when it becomes a focus of attack, we find some place to hide. I have a hunch that Christianity is going to be less popular in the future, in this world of ours. But I have this passage in front of me, and so do you. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. I, I'm not afraid to use this term today in rather large ways. <laughs> the fact are these, you are blessed. And He lavished that upon you. You are chosen. And by that, He lavished that upon you. You are holy. And He lavished that upon you. You are blameless. And He's lavished that upon you. You are predestined. Yes, that's also part of what he's done to lavish it on you. You are adopted to a place as a son, which he lavished on you. You are redeemed, which he lavished on you. You are forgiven. And I know that's still hard for some people to swallow. You are forgiven. And guess how he did that? He lavished it upon you. What did God ever do for you half-heartedly? How much has God done for you that you are just going to barely squeak by in the end? I want to show you through this passage what Christ has done for you. And I know this is a reminder, but it's a good one for us. The fact that you are redeemed is through His blood. You see it in verse 7? It's through His blood. That eliminates merit of any kind on our behalf. It makes our redemption based on Him, not on us. He decides the parameters of our redemption. The degree to which you are set free, He decides that. He bought you, Scripture says. <laughs> You've been bought with a price, right? As we have learned, something so simple. But if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. It comes down to a, a transaction. And I love to use more aggressive terms here. He jerked you from the domain of darkness. And He transferred you to the kingdom of His Son. Now, He not only transferred you, but He also dealt with that which held you captive. It says in verse 7, not only were you redeemed, but the fact is, He paid for your sins in full. You are forgiven. Do you hear it? Is that based on you or on Him? He did it. He forgave you. The debt is paid. Period. The sin is gone. Period. 
if you struggle, as a lot of people do, with unforgiveness, let me say, it's not on Christ's side. It's not on Christ's side. Don't minimize the power of the act of Christ to forgive you. He died that you might be forgiven. We sing in the song, what more could he have done? What more could he do? His act of forgiving you is not a conditional whim. He, he, he does not use forgiveness to barter with you. He doesn't say, well, if, if you do your devotions today, I'll treat you better. He doesn't say, if, if you go to church, I'll treat you better. I'll forgive that thing if you, if you do this, if you do that. If you, he doesn't barter with forgiveness. He gives it in full measure, completely forgiven. That, folks, is your identity in Christ. Do you see it? You wear that title. I know at times we don't act like we understand it. We don't feel like we're worth it. We almost feel embarrassed to wear it because we're not living up to it. <laughs> I know all that's true. But I also know this. Christ paid for it. Look at it from his side. It's paid for. And if you struggle with the nature of forgiveness, just look a little further in the passage. And find that it is explained by its own limitations, its own measure. It won't go one inch further than its boundary. And what is its boundary? Verse 7, your forgiveness is according to your mood, right? Oh, it doesn't say that? It's according to your circumstances, right? It's according to how your day went. You know, Mondays, it's a whole lot harder to be forgiven, isn't it? Forgiveness is not based on how your children behave. It's not what your checkbook looks like. But what does it say in verse 7? According to what? The riches of His grace. The riches of His grace. Oh, if only we would believe it. The boundaries of forgiveness is as endless as the shore of God's ocean of grace. There's no limit there. That's the only way he limits forgiveness or redemption or any of his other works is based on his riches of his grace. And tell me, where are the lines that tell you the end of that? Mark the horizon and look everywhere you want. God's grace is greater still. It measures out for you, not in nickels and in dimes and in quarters or even $20 bills, but it measures forgiveness according to His grace. His grace. How smart is God? That's too easy to ask, isn't it? We have a word we put in theological terms. We have an omni in front of it. Anyone know that one? Omniscient. That means he knows everything. Does that worry you? 
He knows everything. Everything in the past, everything in the present, everything in the future. That is incredible. But that's God. If he doesn't know it, then he can't be God. That's the nature of the word. He knows it all. He knows. He knows. I like that phrase. He's all-knowing. How, how strong is God? What's our word for that one? Omnipotent. Those are wonderful words. It means all-powerful. All-powerful. There is nothing more powerful than he is. Got it? Nothing. How, how present is God? We use the word omnipresent, don't we? That means he's everywhere. That's, that could be interesting, too. Uh, Psalm 139. Read that one. And then think about your day. And go, woo. Where can you go from his presence? It asks the question. And the reality is you can't go anywhere because he is everywhere. I'm showing you how big he is in simple terms, I think. But let's ask this. How loving is God? Do we have a word for that one? Omnibenevolent. <laughs> I made it up. Uh, full of compassion, full of kindness, full of generosity. I don't know all the words we can stuff into that word love. But you can take every word we can possibly say in English and add them all together and give them all the superlatives and still you can't describe his kind of love. It's all of that and more and more and more and more and more. We don't limit him on his love. We don't limit him on his presence. We don't limit him on his power. We don't limit him on his wisdom. We don't. And then when we talk about this question, how rich is God? How rich is God? The scripture says he owns everything. What's the old song? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot of cattle. Right? Would you like to feed all those, Sid? No. <laughs> he owns it all. This world is his. As a believer in Christ, you're his too. He owns it all. I, I don't know the omni with that one yet. Opulent. Omniopulent. Opulent. Boy, is that a tough word to say. I don't know. It's just big. Now take the concept that I just gave to you. Take the richest concept and go to the furthest, furthest extreme your mind can ever imagine and find that God's forgiveness is richer still than that. Just as full, just as effective there as it is in any issue, any moment in your life. You will never outdo his forgiveness. You will never pass it by and find it only in your mirror. Now, if you take all those measuring terms and realize how thoroughly God has forgiven you is according to the riches of his grace. Now, take that redemption by which you have been set free. And that forgiveness that is measured by a boundless riches and add to it another thought because it still doesn't say it all. Add to it how he's applied it to you and you get verse 8. He lavished it on us. <laughs> I love this word. 
This is messy, folks. All right? This is a very messy, messy concept. Some people, when they go to paint, they're very careful. They set up their, their little tarps on the floor, and they make sure they tape all the edges that they're not supposed to tape. And then they get their brush, and they get their pan, and some even go and put the liner in the pan, right? And they put just enough paint in there, and they take their brush and very carefully get all the excess off the edge, and then they paint their little two inches, and then they go back and they do it again. And it may take them hours to paint one spot, but they're going to be careful, because the last thing they want is a drip. They don't want a drip. I want to tell you what lavish looks like. It's where you forget the rest and just dump the whole bucket on the wall. Just let it just flow down the side. It's messy. It comes out on the floor. It comes out on the edges. It comes out everywhere. This is a great little word. You ready? If I go through my little tour like I always do on Bible translations, if you got a King James today, you said, which he hath abounded toward us. That's a great word, abounded. If you're carrying a legacy or maybe a Lexham translation, which he caused to abound to us. If you have the Living Bible, maybe, that he has showered down upon us. But the Amplified, the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, a bunch of all these others use the word lavished. Lavished. Of course, you go to Google and ask them, what does that mean? So, Google says it's to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. The Greek word, perisu, perisu, is to super abound. That's not just abounding. Super abound in quantity and quality. To be in excess. To be or to cause to abound, to excel, to make more, to have more, more abundance, to be more abundant, to be better, enough, and to be spare, exceed, excel, increase. These words just keep going on and on. It talks about having something given to you that not only is sufficient for the moment, but it remains after that over and above whatever it was you needed. Thayer's little definition of the word speaks of exceeding some number or measure or rank or need over and above, more than necessary. Those are some of the words he sets before us when he's trying to define this word. I, I, I have some observations and it's real simple. God's grace toward you in the Department of Forgiveness is superabounding in both quantity and quality. His forgiveness is as pure as anything. You, you, cannot, you cannot put any sort of shade to his forgiveness that has this restriction or has this condition or has anything other than the blood of Christ. It's as pure as that. It's not measured by the number of sins. It's not measured by the number of sins. God's grace toward you in the Department of Forgiveness is excessive. 
Hear the word? It's excessive. It means it's enough, and yet it's more. It's more. God's grace to you in the Department of Forgiveness is exceeding any number or any measure or any rank or any need. You say, what do you mean by rank? Well, Paul ranked himself as a sinner, and what did he call himself? The chief. (laughs) God's forgiveness is greater than that. Remember Peter's generosity? Lord, how about if we forgive him seven times? That's our generosity, too. And we count. Oh, we don't say that. Well, we do. We count. Jesus says, hey, Peter, seven times, that's not bad, but let's multiply that by 70. That's what it looks like. When the people were hungry, remember there was a crowd that came to hear him and he taught throughout the day and they didn't have enough food to even get home. They would get weak on the way home. And Jesus says, well, we better feed them. And the disciples said, well, you know, that's kind of hard to do. There's no place to buy food. We don't have the money for that anyway. But on top of that, all we've got are five loaves, two fishes. I love that. I love that because not only was everyone filled... But there was leftover, 12 basketful of fish and bread were leftover. That's how Jesus multiplies. I think it was in third or fourth grade I learned how to multiply. If I had used Jesus' kind of concept on that, I wouldn't have passed my classes. (laughs) But that's just the way he does things. I imagine someday we're going to see the full scope of the Lord's forgiveness. We're going to see the multitudes that have been forgiven standing before Him in glory. We're going to see them shouting out His praises. We're going to see them rejoicing with exceeding great joy. Peter calls it inexpressible. And behind that throne, I kind of picture this, and it's only my crazy imagination, There's going to be a pile, a giant pile behind that throne. And we're going to say, Lord, what is that? He says, oh, well, that was the pile left over after I dispensed all my grace. There's still some more. There's still some more. Always excessive. Always excessive. That's how the Lord forgives you. Do you hear it? Always excessive. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 23 is verse number 5. Where in that verse it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I wrote a little book called The Lord is Shepherding Me. And I explained that in several of the chapters, toward the, more toward the end of the book. But the picture of that table is very messy. It's very messy. The meal is a feast. What he has set before his sheep is a feast. Not just a bowl of Rice Krispies. It's a feast. Thanks Thanksgiving. Thanks Christmas. Family meal. Huge amounts. That's how he provides. There's little room for a centerpiece there. 
and you are seated as a guest of honor, and he comes up behind you and pours oil on your head. And that's a sign of, you're very welcome here. <laughs> but it's not a dab. It's not a little drip. It's the whole picture. He pours it, and it comes down, and it drips, and it's all over your tablecloth. And it's dripping on your clothing. And then he reaches for your cup. And you say, oh, I'll take half a cup. He says, no, you won't. He starts to fill it. And what's interesting is, he doesn't stop at the rim, or just below the rim. He doesn't stop at the rim. He continues to pour as it overflows the cup. It's coming out over the top of the cup. It's pouring down your arm as you hold the cup. And it's dripping all over the table. It just keeps going. And the host is careful to make that happen. We always say, be careful, don't spill it. When it comes to grace, the Lord laughs at that and says, yes, I want to spill it. I want to pour it on everything. I want it to run over. Anything less is an insult to what Christ has done. Believe it or not, you're supposed to appreciate that act. You're supposed to appreciate it. It signifies that your host is not more concerned about the expense of the provision as he is about you. You are the most important part of that whole forgiveness picture to him. Because of the way he applies it to you. He treats his supply as if it doesn't matter if some should spill. He has much more than where that came from. The appropriate term in Hebrew is my cup of abundance. The words speak of a drinking goblet that is complete, all the way complete with drink. It is filled to capacity. And yet, there's even more. The shepherd provides more than just the necessities of grace and forgiveness. His provisions are super abounding. And that's why the psalmist can say, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. You're not coming away from his table thirsty for more forgiveness. I like the way the Greek translation puts that same phrase where we say, my cup overflows. It actually says it this way, your cup drinks freely, just most excellent. And you may say, that's an odd translation. I think you'll find that in the revised version of 1881 or something like that. A long time ago, they put it in that way. The word drink as to excess, the word excellence as to noble and full of respect. He's not offering to you the cheapest brand of forgiveness. He's not offering you something that, you know, you could buy at Walmart. (laughs) It's not watered down. It's the best that can be presented. Now, this picture, I hope you understand it, because I hope you don't miss it. The shepherd in that wants to provide for his sheep, and he thinks so highly of them that he goes out of his way to deliver an abundant supply of the best provisions. 
this is His grace. This is what it looks like. It spills over the brim. It pours out onto the tablecloth. The way Paul wrote this to Timothy, he says, The grace of our Lord is more than abundant. 1 Timothy 1.14 When he wrote to the Ephesians, he says in chapter 2, verse 7, to show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us. He says again this passage here, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Aren't you glad He used that word? That's an amazing term. It doesn't sound skimpy, does it? It means to be over and above. Now, I want to ask you something. With all this said, how do you respond to that kind of generosity? How do you respond to it? You can get a little nervous, maybe. (laughs) Maybe even a little embarrassed. That it's such a big thing that He brings to you. Uh, We're not so comfortable at times receiving things that we say, oh, I'm so undeserving of that. If you were selling off maybe your your car and you knew it wasn't worth but $500 or $600, and that's a pretty sad-looking vehicle, and some guy came in and says, no, I'm going to give you about $2 million for that car, what are you going to do? Take it and say, thanks. More times than not, we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You didn't hear me. I said $500. <laughs> and what are you offering? You think the guy's crazy. Is God crazy? What you say and what you need, He gives abundantly beyond all that we ask or all that we think. I think it's a beautiful thing. But how do you answer that? When you see it, and you see it, He lavished it upon you. How do you answer that? What was those two words you taught your children to say when anybody gives them something? Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Most of the time when our kids are given a cup and they're visiting somebody, you whisper something to them that says something like this, Don't spill it. (laughs) Right? Don't spill it. Oh, no, you're at somebody else's house. Don't spill it. The Lord gave you a cup and He spilled it on purpose. I can't think of a a better image than He must have laughed when He saw your face. Really? That much? His words are, don't worry, there's plenty where that comes from. You carry a burden, perhaps, of sin. You've carried it for most of your life, perhaps. It's been heavy. It's been hard. You've hit it well, perhaps. But all the while, you're carrying this thing because you're not sure that He can forgive you. You don't think you deserve it. You're going to wear it because you deserve to be punished. And you're going to carry that thing. The text tells you about His forgiveness about His grace, how it exceeds your sin. Are you ready to let go? Are you ready to give that up? Have you ever wrestled with the thought that you're welcomed to bring your sin to Him? From the nature of the act of forgiveness, 
You, folks, are more important to Jesus than his blood was to him. He gave away his blood so that he can have you. What's the most important thing in his heart then? It's you. Forgiven is a word like that. It's something you wear as your identity in Christ, just as the rest of us who are studying these words. It's our identity. We did not earn this on our part. We didn't at all. Yet, it was given to us through Jesus Christ. It's something you have right now. Forgiveness. It's been lavished on you. I love that phrase. I think of a time when I I heard the testimony of Leighton Ford. Some of you know that name, Leighton Ford. Uh, He said he grew up, he was absolutely ignorant of Christian things. Knew nothing about the Bible or about Christ had done for him or such. And the day came in his life when he was saved. And he says, I I didn't know what to do. He was speaking to us at Moody one year. He says, I didn't know what to do, but I said, I had to respond somehow. So he went down to the bookstore and he says, well, I think I just need a Bible. I need a Bible. What, he didn't know what a Bible was, never cracked one open in his life. But he says, I want a Bible. And they brought him out these Bibles. He says, no, I want a big one. You know those times that your aunt gives to you when you get married? Those big old massive Bibles? That's the one he bought. So that he could walk down the street with the biggest Bible under his arm. Because that's what he thought of God's grace. When you wear the title forgiven, don't take a small little sliver here that says forgiven as your badge. Find something that's huge. That's something so impressive, so eye-catching that people say, Wow! How come you're so different? (laughs) And you say, that's the nature of God's grace toward me. He lavished it upon me and I want you to see it too. Wear it like that, folks. You have been lavished with His grace. Isn't that beautiful? Love the Word. That's the way God does things. That's what He's done for you. That's what He's done for you. I don't think it hurts for us to try to lavish back praise in His direction, does it? Heavenly Father, we bow before You. As recipients of this kind of grace that you have absolutely poured upon us to excess. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the things you two have done for us to change us. Not just enough, but in excess, you have made us what we are today. And we wear a title we know is too much, too big for us, but we will gladly wear it. Because it's a gift from our Savior. And it was bought with His blood. Thank you, Lord, for loving us that much. And for showing it to us in that measure. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning still struggling with their sins. They know that they're a believer in Christ, but they haven't let go. They haven't let go of the past. There's something there that's still a burden to them. Show them how big the cross is today. Show them how great your grace is today. Show them how they have been lavished upon with it all. And may they give up what they hold on to. 
Lord, change us today. Make us different because of what we have learned today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for how big it is. May we understand it better as we go from this place, rejoicing as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.